so many crickets outside right now, James. What does the crickets mean again? <laughs> well, it's just this is the time of year where they're all mating. They're singing. Oh, they- James, wow. we don't want to talk about cricket mating Can at the very beginning you of our. Feel <laughs> I was talking about. Remember when you told us there's like something with thunderstorms where the crickets are like making noises? No, I, I said that you could calculate Fahrenheit from cricket chirps. Well, that's what we need to do, Alex, because there's oh. lots of chirping right now. See, I thought what I remember James saying was that you could calculate the rotation of the Earth. Oh. I thought, for some reason, cricket chirps. I thought James told me that you could know how far away a clap of thunder was. <laughs> <laughs> what? No. Based upon crickets. You can listen, do that. You, you count the how many seconds. One Mississippi, two Mississippi, and that's how many miles away the thunder is. Oh. James, don't make me feel... Listen, okay, you guys, welcome to the 13th Floor <laughs> Podcast. I am Cece. I'm Alex. I'm James. And I'm going crazy today. Maybe maybe this is just like another example of the Mandela effect. And I just, I strictly remember you mentioning this to me, James. <sighs> like, I'm not going crazy. This has actually happened before. Okay. <laughs> Anyways, <laughs> how have you guys been? Great. Been good. I'm ready to talk about... Our topic today. Yeah? You ready to talk about animals that save lives as submitted to us by Livy in Mm -hmm. St. Petersburg? Mm -hmm. Livy, thank you again for this topic. It's a nice, lighthearted, refreshing thing to research. Might be lighthearted, depending on who's saving who from what. Oh my gosh. Alex (laughs) Alex is always going to take the topic and turn it on his head. No, I didn't turn it on his head. (laughs) I figured that Alex would probably come to the the show today and be like, I'm going to tell you about... Lassie. No. <laughs> Wouldn't do that. Where the red fern grows. Oh my god. <laughs> Anyways. You guys, guess what? 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 James just celebrated his 423rd birthday. That's right. Yesterday. <laughs> every birth every 423rd birthday. Yeah, happy yeah. birthday to James, our <laughs> resident vampire. The Count of Saint Germain. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> that, that, that does run. Yeah. It does, doesn't it? <laughs> so James, tell us about your birthday. What did you get? What was your favorite thing that happened? Um, I got a massage and I got a cheeseburger. And the day before I went out for At steak. the same time? Yeah. <laughs> that would be amazing. How decadent could, that, could you get? Um, and uh, I got some books. Uh, one sister got me the Book of Raziel. Um, and the older sister got me, or twin sister got me a Book of Raziel. And older sister got me the Tao Te Ching. So I got uh, religious books for my birthday. Wow, a lot to think think about as you embark on another year of life, James. Yeah, another spiritual adventure for James. (laughs) Always, James is always, he's just in a perpetual spiritual adventure. Mm -hmm. But happy birthday, James, from the bottom of mine and Alex's hearts. And also Gwen, she's upstairs right now. She has no idea that your birthday was yesterday, but she's still (laughs) wishing you a happy birthday. (laughs) Good deal. Mm. Do you guys want to say our hearty hellos? Hearty. Because we have some new places on the map right now that are just like, what? So, you guys, today we are saying hello, hello, hello to everybody in the United States Minor Outlying Islands. It's on the map today. So, Mm -hmm. that's a new place. Also, Azure by Hand. So, hello, everybody there. And then here in the States... We're going to give a hearty hello to everybody in Maryland because you guys are on our top five listenership for 
the month of uh, August so far here in the United States of America. So no matter where you're listening, hello, hello, hello. I'm giving you high fives. Alex, let's give him the sound. That's what I'm doing right now, giving you a high five and thanking (laughs) you for listening to our humble little podcast where we just get together each week to talk about something weird. (laughs) So, yeah. Sir James, do you have an icebreaker for us? Um, hmm. Okay. This is the only thing I can think of that's remotely relevant that we haven't already done. Mm-hmm. You know, usually the animal rescue is a common theme in media. So growing up as a kid, what was your favorite animal themed show, film, or character? Oh, I had so many growing up. Animal themed. What about you, James? Why don't you go first? Get 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 my uh, thinking juices rolling. <laughs> Ew, thinking juices rolling. Wow. Um, yeah i uh, I used to watch like really old cartoons. Like re- I don't understand how this worked because I swear to God, I used to watch TV on like a little flip dial wooden TV, like what you'd see in like the forties, and. I loved Jabberjaw, the Hanna Barbera cartoon. I think oh. that might have been what got me into sharks. That's you know that's that's a good a good choice. I remember watching that on I can't even remember what channel was it Cartoon Network like in the middle of the night. I don't even know. That's the thing. This the whole my memories of it feel anachronistic. Oh, like they, it shouldn't have happened. No, but James, I remember watching all kinds of shows that were like. Old Looney Tunes all the time. Yeah, me too. Yeah, yeah and Jabberjaw Boop and all that. I wasn't too familiar with Jabberjaw. Mm-hmm. Um, I do remember them though. It was also my nickname shows. as a kid, and that may have played a role too. Oh, maybe Jabberjaw. I could see you being a Jabberjaw, James. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> we need to. We need to resurrect that nickname for James. Yeah. So you guys, <laughs> Jabberjaw James. Yeah, well, let's just introduce ourselves really quickly. Hi, I'm Cece. I'm Alex. I'm Jabberjaw. <laughs> there we go. <laughs> there we go. I like oh, the man. vague sense of like oh, d- sadness and disdain. <laughs> I made you do that. That was my that was one of my birthday gifts to you, James. Is resurrecting the nickname. There's J. Jonah Jameson from Spider Man, and there's Jabberjaw James from Thirteenth Floor. <laughs> Goodness, oh man, that sounds like a trucker handle. <laughs> it does. We need to get that. That should be some of our merch. We'll get a uh, hat, a trucker hat that just says Jabberjaw James. <laughs> uh, what about you guys? You know, I know that I watched a ton of things. Like I watched Looney Tunes all the time, but I think that. One animal that really stuck out to me was that frog from Gullah Gullah Island. <laughs> For oh, some reason, man, I just Binya Binya. Yeah, I yeah. keep Binya Binya. binya. <laughs> I I was obsessed with that. And then, do you guys remember Face from Nickelodeon? Oh yeah, from well, Nick he's Jr. not an animal, but yeah, <laughs> he's, we can consider him to be an Wait, animal. What is it? Because you know what, animals the- have faces, so we don't know what <laughs> he was. So I'm going to say that I just love face. face. Yeah. I remember face. Yeah. Face remember not face? <laughs> yeah I know. <laughs> I'm so confused. Oh. It's not a, it, listen, it just makes me happy. It's, it's a part of my childhood that just, mm. I remember and it makes me smile. I forgot all about face. Yeah. yeah this yeah. is exciting. Alex, what about you? Um, from childhood? Yeah. From yeah. childhood, buddy. You know, I always did. You know, I don't know. So, I liked some of the movies. I did like Where the Red Fern Grows. I liked the book, though. I read that first. Yeah, um, me too. And then, 
you know, the, the, the movie makes you all sad. Yeah, very. E- even more sad because you really just needed that visual component to it. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I did, I, I'm kind of like James, like those old Hanna-Barbera cartoons mm-hmm. and the Looney Tunes. That was my bread and butter uh, mm. growing up. I remember watching it all the time. And I got to say, I did like Tom and Jerry. Oh, oh think- man. Tom and Jerry is timeless. It's so funny. Like, have you ever it's- watched Tom and Jerry as an adult? Yeah, it's like amazing it's, how violent it is. It's amazing how funny. Yeah, like I mean, legitimately, like genuinely laughing, like it's, belly it's so hurting creative. laughing. Yeah, yeah. They don't make TV and cartoons like they used to. <laughs> no, they. I mean, they don't largely because they can't. But yeah, yeah. <laughs> I was like, well, also true. you guys, James, that was a fun icebreaker. Um, James, you should ask everybody on Instagram because now I want to know what everyone else's favorite TV shows are because I bet you there are a lot out there from our childhoods that we just don't remember. Mm -hmm. So I want to know what everybody else likes. So, James, I'm giving you the task of asking that on our Instagram, but are you guys ready to hop into our topic? Yep. Yeah. Okay. So which one of us is going first? It doesn't matter to me. Alex wants to go first. James. <laughs> okay, so we're we're gonna let Alex go. All right, that's James's birthday present to you, Alex. Oh, thanks, <laughs> thanks, James, for Even my birthday your present. Birthday's several months from now. All right, all right. So I had the first animal rescue. So mine is actually a about a shark attack. Ooh, where a surfer is saved. By dolphins. Ooh, that sounds nice. Yeah. Uh, and I got to give a big shout out to Reader's Digest for the very flowerfully, flower, flowerfully, flowerly, mm. and wonderfully insightful article Shark Attack Dolphins Save Surfer from Shark. Oh, wow. I love that title. <laughs> but the, the article is like a really fun read, very flowery, very like they, like they were writing a book. They were having fun with it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, the lanky 24-year-old aquarium technician zipped into his wetsuit and headed to Marina State Beach. So it's all, like, very exciting. This is like Gonzo, yeah. <laughs> right, yeah. It's really excitingly written. Uh, I, I really did like it. It was very enjoyable. Are all Reader's Digest things written That's like this? That's why I'm I love Reader's Digest, really? Alex. Yes, okay. like, Reader's I, Digest is the best. I understand the appeal, because it made this already exciting story even more exciting. <laughs> <laughs> so, it's an early morning uh, in August 2007, and Todd Endress is going out for a surf. He's 24 years old, and he's only actually two miles from his apartment. And as he like got into the, he was wading out into the water, and he sees a pot of dolphins playing in the waves ahead of him. And he goes out, he's surfing, there's other surfers out there. Uh, and the only th- the only animals that anyone is seeing today is these dolphins. Uh, he goes out. He's paddling. He's waiting for that that big beautiful wave. He wants to yeah. he wants to be totally tubular. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> <laughs> so he he's about seventy far seventy far seventy five yards from the shore, and he looks over and he sees his friend hit, get a perfect wave, and then suddenly Endress is blown out of the water 15 feet into the air. Ooh. Yeah. And he, he lands head first into the water. And when he shoots up, he like immediately has the thought like, 
only one thing could launch me <laughs> into the air <laughs> like that. So he jumps onto his board, but as soon as he gets back onto his board, uh, he, start, he starts paddling towards the shore, but as soon as he starts that, he gets hit again. And th- this time, a great white shark has him in his, in his jaws. <sighs> yeah. Mm. And it's digging, and it's got him uh, around the waist and it's digging into his back. Oh, that is a oh, bad area. Yeah. Man. Yeah. So he's being thrashed around and while he's being thrashed around, he is, some people look around and they, you know, they see this man <laughs> being attacked by a, by a shark. Now, really yeah. quick, this area apparently is known as a part of the Red Triangle. It's the Red Triangle. Red Triangle is this little area um, in Monterey Bay that is known for having uh, shark attacks this time of year. Um, And so it's named the Red Triangle for numerous deaths that have occurred during uh, this three-month period. So 50 people between 1959 and 2007 have been attacked, which is pretty high, actually. That's pretty high. Yeah. But, you know, if you're a surfer, you can't really be afraid of sharks. No. <laughs> that's kind of your bread and butter, right? Um, <laughs> <laughs> not the shark attack, but, you know, you have that's an accepted risk well, it's in like, surfing. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's one of those things that if you're going to surf, you have to know that's out there and it could happen. Yeah, exactly. Oof. So when Indris is, Indris is attacked by the shark... It's gone by the way. He's like, he's throwing punches at it, trying to hit it in the eyes, hitting it in the snout, like you're told to do. Uh, just trying to get the thing to let go of him. And he said it was like punching a car. He said a Chevy Suburban covered with sandpaper is what yeah. he called it, which is what I hear. That it feels like sandpaper. Um, and that he just felt like he couldn't do anything because it feels like he's punching a car. Yeah. Right, and so this 16 foot shark has him in its mouth, and it's thrashing him around, and then it it takes him below the water. Another surfer named Joe Jansen, who's 25 years old, he looks over, and he just hears a splash, and he looks over and he sees this gray creature, but he can't really tell quite what it is, and then it launches 12 feet into the air. Majestically holding Indris. <laughs> oh, holding Indris. Oh, for a second I thought no, you were talking about a this dolphin. Is not the dolphin. Uh. It's holding Indris and the surfboard in its mouth. Jeez. Yeah. So and that shark's fir- name was Jabberjaw, and it's a dragon. So apparently, at first, Jansen thought the creature was a whale because it was just so big. Because he said it was the big, quote, the biggest thing he had ever seen. And then he heard Indris scream. He said, and he said his first thought was to get out of there. And sure enough, he started paddling toward the shore. He's terrified. And so he looks over at the shark. And when he sees Indris, Indris locks eyes with him and says, help me. Oh, you can't. Yeah, you can't leave that. You can't leave that. (laughs) And And then he disappears beneath the water. And so... The, the shark had let go of Indris and then bitten down again on his Aww. right thigh. Like his leg is in the shark's mouth now. <laughs> and so another guy named Wes Williams, a 33-year-old um, man, he's on his surfboard and he's like, what is going on? Like, this is an insane thing to see. And then he sees six bottlenose dolphins 
leaping in and out of the water around where this is happening. And <laughs> his first thought, because he hadn't seen the shark yet, was, what did this guy do to make all these dolphins mad? Because he just sees this guy screaming. He sees dolphins going after, <laughs> after him. Yeah. And he just, he said it looked like the guy was being electrocuted. So I guess he just saw the waves slashing around, but he couldn't see the actual shark from where he was at. And so they got the dolphins circle the shark and Indris and start sla- slapping their uh, flukes and agitation towards them. And that's when the guy noticed this the ring of red blood around Edris started like coming out, but he sees these dolphins slapping everything around the shark. And then when Edris, he like, he goes back beneath the water and then he like resurfaces with a burst of adrenaline gasping for air and he's holding his leg and he thought his leg was gone. Luckily it wasn't, but Edris says that he, uh, he couldn't think about anything, and all he did was use his strength to keep kicking the shark in the face to free his leg. And then when uh, the shark shot out of the water again, thrashing him around like a like a, a little seal, like a little seal, exactly, because mm-hmm. that's part of why it's a red triangle. There's so many sea lions and seals in the area. That's why sharks come in the area. Okay. Um, <laughs> and but the server apparently kept punching again and again and finally he landed a blow on its eye and it let, it go. let go yep and it let go mm-hmm. of me he just kept yelling at it and when he started swimming away at the, or the shark released him and when he started swimming away he noticed that all the dolphins made a wall between him and the shark oh they all made a, a wall between him and the shark and gave him enough time to start swimming away now i mentioned wow. Joe, yeah right it's like altruism. That's, that's amazing. <laughs> right? It really is. It really is. And then uh, I mentioned Joe Jansen earlier. He was the one that made eye contact with him when he was saying, help me. Yeah. Right? Mm. Well, he had started, so he's, he kept swimming. He kept swimming towards the shore. And then he decided, like, he could not live with himself if he did not at least try to help. Yeah. And so he turned around and he goes, he swims back into the bloody water. Um, expecting to be attacked by the shark because he doesn't know where the shark is anymore. And he said, he, he told him like, quick, get on your board. And he gave him, a, he pushed his board towards him. Edris was able to climb back onto his own board. And then they uh, rode a small little wave in. He was like, hey, let's grab this swell. We'll take it in. They got in and then, then they, uh, him and a friend dragged Indris onto the beach and he is in a lot of pain. I would I mean, imagine. not his spine is exposed. Oh. Yeah, his entire back has been flayed in all of his like oh. Yeah. And God, apparently a little interesting part of the story is like he had had his art or his, his lungs had managed to not be punctured somehow <laughs> despite the really deep wounds. It was just millimeters. Two milli- he was two millimeters away from having his arteries severed. Good lord. Ooh. Yeah. And he was like, apparently he was on the beach bleeding out. He was raised up Catholic, but he didn't really go to church anymore. And he was he was there praying it, like, you know, to stay alive. And, yeah. that I mean, all the things that were done, like, they said it took him six hours in surgery. And they said that when they opened up his back, well, they didn't have to open it up. It was already, was already open up. There. 
they were like they couldn't tell what connected to what anymore yeah it was so bad it took him 500 stitches and 200 staples to get them back together uh but everything was completely they said it was like doing a jigsaw puzzle for the doctors to put them back together and he's okay he's okay good so he eventually had this bout of nightmares obviously once he finally once he finally got home and completely had recovered and he started going to protect uh, like these dolphin protection things, especially in Japan. There's this little cove where they drive <laughs> dolphins in and kill them and serve yeah, them. Yeah, it's really bad. Yeah. So he's he's gone to try to fight against that uh, several times. Um, <laughs> he talks about wildlife preservation a lot now, and he does still surf. He even went out to the spot where he got hit and started surfing <laughs> again out there. And... Uh, Wow. Yeah. He's, he's, he's all right now. Way to go. Good deal. Thank yeah. God for dolphins. Right. Pretty cool. Oh, well, thank you, Alex, for sharing that. James, I'm going to go next. How's that sound? Go for it. Um, <laughs> and I'm going to be talking about two different stories just because they are kind of short. Um, but Are they chipmunks? Because uh-huh. they're short? <laughs> short little chippies. <laughs> no, I am going to be first sharing the story of Mila... The beautiful golden-hearted beluga whale. Oh, yeah! She lives at the Polar Land Aquarium in Harbin, Northeast China. Okay. Yeah. <clears throat> so, um, Polar Land was looking to find some new whale trainers. I can't remember the year for this. He was. I can't remember. Nineteen seventy-five. It was like two thousand something. Oh. Maybe two thousand ten. <clears throat> I can't remember. But they were looking to get some new whale trainers, and the job is very competitive. Everyone wants to be a whale trainer. You know what I mean? Okay. Alex, would you want to be a whale trainer? Yeah, why not? Yeah. James? Sure. <laughs> well, I'm so glad. Can you picture James riding a nose a, a whale's nose? Like, yes. Having his arms out. Like Just like Free Willy? <laughs> yeah. Oh, I love it. <laughs> Um, well, you guys, there are a lot of other people vying for this job, so I, I don't know if you guys would be qualified, but the, the polar land, they thought the best thing to do would be to have a competition to try to find their next whale trainer. So they decided to have this free dive comp and contestants had to dive to the bottom of the beluga whale tank and stay there for as long as possible without any diving gear or a breathing apparatus. Sounds fair, right? Wow. Does that sound make sense? So, yeah. <laughs> and you know, beluga whales live in very cold water. Okay. Okay. Yeah. So, unfortunately, this is probably not the best idea. One contestant, it was a woman named Yang Yun, I think it's how you say her name, but she decided to give this a try and she dove to the bottom of this freezing cold tank and she gave it her best. She actually stayed at the bottom for quite a while and then she got to the point where she's like, okay, I need to breathe. It's time to swim up. But her leg cramps up in the cold water, and she's basically paralyzed. She can't move. She can't swim. Mm. Her her mm. legs are, like, frozen. And she starts to sink a little bit closer down to the bottom. And it's a deep tank. Like, it's pretty far from the – she's far from being able to breathe. And Mila, the beautiful beluga whale, sees – Yang and Mila knows something just isn't right. So she grabs Yang by her leg and carefully pushes her up to the top of the tank where she's able to, number one, breathe. 
And number two, get help getting out of the tank. Wow. Um, mm, which I think is super deal. sweet. That's awesome. Very. Yay. Very cool. In belugas, they have very tiny little teeth. So she, the girl, the woman escaped this ordeal with no significant injuries. Um, mm. Did she get the job as the whale trainer? No. I have no idea. I, oh. I could not find anything on it. I would oh. hope so. You would think so because it's like you already have rapport with the dolphin. Ex- exactly. With the whale, yeah. With the whale, it's the yeah. good chemistry. That's what, that's what I would have thought. And I, she, I did read that she said that she felt she had a special connection with Mila, which makes sense. But I, I don't know if she got the job, but Mila did win an award for her bravery, guys. Oh. She was uh, Key she was, to the city. <laughs> She was gifted a Shining World Hero Award per award.godirectcontact.net. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Uh, and this also included $500 for, quote, veggie snacks, care, and comfort. Oh. Um, and it also said, quote, when the award letter was read, Mila moved close to the representatives of our association and smiled. <laughs> In addition, her caregiver was given master's DVDs and books on animals, end wow. quote. So, like, her trainer also got something, oh, wow. which I think is very nice. He got some DVDs <laughs> on animals. So Not even Blu-rays. So very odd. <laughs> <I know. Yeah. laughs> of course, we don't know what year this was. But. I can't remember. But this this story... Uh, it made me really happy just because it's like when I think of whales, I always think that they're kind of dangerous, but they're not, you know, they're so big, but they're, they're usually just very sweet. They're very seldom aggressive toward humans, at least belugas. And they're just very curious about people. I was say, tell that to a killer whale. Uh, well, orcas only, they don't really attack people. They eat people whole. Yeah. Fun fact, belugas and orcas are actually not whales. They're actually, uh, Marsupials. Uh, rela- <laughs> they're actually more related to dolphins. They're, uh, in fact, I think they're both in delphin delphinity. Anyway, uh, you guys both talked about cetaceans. That's kind of interesting. I'm not done yet, James. Oh. oh. I remember I said I'm talking about two things. Oh, you're talking about another uh, whale right. slash dolphin? Yeah. No, it's a big animal, though. It's a pig. Oh. Yeah. So for my second story, you guys, that I'm going to regale you with, sweet listener, the tale of Lulu, the Vietnamese pot-bellied pig. All right. Yeah. And I read about this tale. So cetaceans and an animal that evolved from cetaceans. Oh, my goodness. Look at maybe vice versa. Look at James Ooh. there. Well, I saw this one on unsolvedmysteries.fandom.com. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. I do have the year on this one. The year on this one was 1998. And a woman named Joanne Altman, she's minding her own business, Sitting at her little vacation rental on the shore of Lake Erie, her husband had gone off and gone fishing, so she's all by herself with just her pet dog and Lulu, the Vietnamese pot-bellied pig. And all of a sudden, she feels this tinge in her heart. Her left arm goes numb, and she's having a heart attack. Oh, no. Yeah. And her her pet pig, Lulu, is just like, "Uh uh-oh, something's not right. Better go get help. So Lulu <laughs> does what any Vietnamese pot-bellied pig would do in this situation, <laughs> you guys. She busts through the doggy door, probably broke it because she's big, and <laughs> she runs over to the house's fence. She goes through that looking for help, 
And a pig can't exactly ask for help. Like, it can't just be like, help, help. Oh, really? Yeah. So, what does it do? <laughs> it To get somebody's attention, she laid in the middle of a busy road and pretended to be dead so that somebody would <laughs> wow. see her. That's awesome. And so, um, so, you know, if you're driving your car through a busy road and there's just this dead pig in the middle of the road, you're going to be like, what? I got to. I got to get out and check on that. That requires abstract thinking, too. That's, like, amazing. Pigs are smart, James. They are. But Lulu, somebody stopped. It was this guy, he stopped, and Lulu's like, great, follow me. And so, lucky for her, (laughs) this man follows her back to the little house, and he finds Joey, and he's able to call 911 and get her the help that she actually needed. And a little fun fact, Lulu was not even supposed to belong to Joanne. Apparently, Joanne's daughter was gifted Lulu, and... One day, her daughter decided that she just, you know, maybe she couldn't care for her anymore. She didn't want her. So she just dropped her off at her mom's house and was like, I'll come back and get her later. <laughs> Never came back to get Lulu. Um, so mm. it just kind of became Joanne's pig. But uh, it ended up being the best thing ever for Joanne, obviously, because Lulu wow. yeah. saved her life. And Lulu, yeah. wow. she became a celebrity after her rescue, you guys. Just like <laughs> Mila the Beluga Whale, she was also given awards. Um, she got the Tiffany Gold Hero Medals or Medal from the American Society for the Prevention of Cruelty to Animals. Mm-hmm. And Lulu was asked to be on all these television shows. She was on Regis and Kathy Lee. She was on David Letterman show. <laughs> and when she was on the David Letterman show, you guys, she got to meet George Clooney. Uh, yeah. Known pig lover. Yeah, exactly. George Clooney has a pot-bellied pig, too. And oh, Lulu, really? Yeah. Lulu was actually given an award from the Humane Society, and guess who gave her her award? The beluga. The beluga <laughs> oil. No, it was actually none other than George Clooney's pig, Ralph. <laughs> so Lulu, she lived happily oh, for the rest of her days, I would imagine, until 2003 when she did pass away herself just because, you know, she's a pig. <laughs> Um, yeah. and another site that I read about Lulu on fabiola.com and it's a little article talking about how pets can save lives. So that was interesting. Pets can save lives. It ended with this quote. So if you have a pet, try to be nice to it. It might save yours or somebody else's life someday. And my thought was just like, if you have a pet, I sure hope to hell you're being nice to it. So yeah, agree. You, yeah. You know what would have been really trippy would have been if the paramedics arrived and Lulu was like doing chest compressions. <laughs> that, would, that would have been amazing. Live. But I also, I found a really nice little video about Lulu the pig on YouTube. It was from Kelly's Curiosities. It's called Kelly's Curiosities 2, Lulu the mm-hmm. Hero Pig. So for my Mila story, I got that information from treehugger.com. But you guys, those are my animal stories. James, I'm excited to hear what you're going to be talking about. Okay. Let me preface this by saying that uh, there is a film that was made in 2018 called Sergeant Stubby, an American Hero. It uh, had Logan Lerman from, uh, uh, shoot, what was that show about, uh, or film about the Greek god kid Uh, or whatever? Percy. There we go, Percy Jackson. Had Helena Bottom Carter. Had Gerard Depardieu. Oh, I love Helena Bottom Carter. Big, big budget. Yeah, good, yeah. Great reviews, $25 million budget. Everybody seems to like it who has seen it, but it only grossed like $4.9 I've never so heard huge, of it huge before. Huge bomb. Exactly. Went straight to DVD. Big mistake. <laughs> Should have been to uh, theaters. Now, the reason why I mention that first 
is because I will probably have to remind everyone a few times during this story that I am talking about real life and not a kid's movie. Because this feels like a flipping kid's movie. The kid's movie movie is animated too, right? Yeah, yeah. So I'm talking about Sergeant Stubby. Sergeant Stubby. (laughs) Okay, so yeah, this is flipping insane. So basically what happened when he was about a year old, he was a uh, stray dog of... Nobody's really sure 100% what he was, but they think, you know, just around this period, the Boston Terrier was new. Like, it just sort of became a breed, and they weren't, like, you know, an official breed at the time, and so they didn't have a lot of the physiology that's kind of locked in. So if you look at Stubby, you can kind of see, like, okay, I can kind of see him being kind of like a precursor to a Boston Terrier. Um, so that's sort of what he was. So he was a straight. And he was walking around in uh, twenty in twenty seventeen in nineteen seventeen um, at Yale. Like he was just wandering Yale campus in nineteen seventeen. And the thing to note about nineteen seventeen is World War One was going on. So Yale wasn't just a place of learning. There were <laughs> troops going through their exercises, going through their training, their drills. Well. He decides he's going to like hang out with these guys while they're doing their drills. Aww. And he kind of plays around and does drills with them. And one guy named Corporal James Robert Conroy really liked Stubby and vice versa. So they were just pals. So now they have to go. Now Conroy has to go to France. He's getting on a ship. He's going to France. He's going to fight in the war. He decides he's just going to sneak Stubby under his overcoat. Just smuggles him to France. This is real life. This is not a kid's movie. So <laughs> his commanding officer finds out while they're at sea. And he, he's, it's exactly what you'd imagine. I, I can see it as a film. You know, like, what's the big idea, Conroy? <laughs> you know, and what does Stubby do? He salutes the superior officer because they had taught him to do Oh, that. my gosh. So... Yeah, the commanding officer's like, ah, he can stay. <laughs> you know, again, this is real life. So they're uh, they're in France, and again, for, for like 18 months, they're at war in the trenches. Real combat, 17 battles, okay? At Chemin de Dame and north, north of Sussuan, they're under fire every day, every night. It is constant. And then they decide... Uh, the powers that be, not Stubby, to uh, take Cishapray. And Stubby gets wounded. The Germans who were retreating threw hand grenades and it damaged his foreleg. So now he's taken from the front lines to the back lines to deal with the wounded. Well, guess what? While he's there, he raises morale because everybody loves hanging out with him while they're recovering. So, yeah. And that alone would have been a great story. But no. He gets better, and they send him back out. (laughs) So while he's back out, again, in trench warfare, he gets injured by mustard gas, which is a terrible, terrible thing. So two things happen as a result of this. They make him a little doggy gas mask. (laughs) And Stubby is very, very perturbed by mustard gas. He's got a fear of it. As a result, he warns his uh, unit about mustard gas attacks well before they would be aware because he can smell really good. So again, not a kid's movie. (laughs) So he finds wounded soldiers out in no man's land. 
And because he's he's got little dog ears, you know, usually, you know, if you think about the the bombs dropping in World War One, you know, there's a well, he can hear it way before we can. So he alerts him to that too. So he's doing really good. Um, basically, when Stubbs ducks, you duck. When Stubbs runs the other direction, you run the other direction. So he's doing like great things. So he single-handedly <laughs> captures a German spy in Argonne by the seat of his pants, like grabs the guys by the seat of the pants. Again, this is not a kid's movie. This feels like something out of a cartoon. <laughs> he he grabs this, this German spy by the seat of the pants and holds him there until they can subdue him. So at that point, the unit's like, Stubby needs to be a sergeant. So they nominate him for sergeant, and he gets the nomination. So he becomes Sergeant Stubby. <laughs> this is not a kid's He's movie. He's so adorable. Yeah. So... Then they, they retake Chateau Thierry, and the women in the town are so grateful that they make him a chamois coat, and they pin his medals to it. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> so now he's like a decorated sergeant. Um, finally, he gets injured again, an, another grenade, chest and leg. This time it's like, okay, you, you, you don't need to fight anymore. And here's the thing. When war happens like that, they don't prioritize taking these dogs home. Like he would have just been left in France um, because again, he's, he's a soldier, but you know, he's still a dog. So Robert Conroy, once again, puts him in his undercoat or overcoat and smuggles him back to the U S. <laughs> so after he gets back, uh, people are just in love with this story. Um, he marches in parades, he leads parades, he meets presidents, uh, Woodrow Wilson, Calvin Coolidge, Warren G. Harding. He appears on, in vaudeville shows. He's awarded uh, lifetime memberships to the American Legion and the YMCA. <laughs> um, he gets a Humane Education Society medal from the General Lee Army's John J. Pershing. I mean, it's insanity, the amount of accolades he gets. Um, later on in 1921, he goes to Georgetown University Law Center. Again, not a kid's movie um, because Conroy went and he becomes the Georgetown Hoyas team mascot. Oh. What they would do is they give him a football at halftime and he would nudge it around the field. <laughs> so, again, this is not a flipping kid's movie. Um, Conroy actually ends up becoming a special agent of the Bureau of Investigation, which is the precursor to the FBI. So, he lives a really cushy little life with uh, Conroy until 1926 when he dies in his sleep relatively peacefully, Aww. or I'm assuming very peacefully, um, about 10 or 11, depending on how old he was, because, again, they like, found him you know, as an adult. Um, this is the weirdest thing about Stubby's story to me. They taxidermied him to preserve him. And, you know, you see this done to cats and dogs and, and various animals. But the honest thing is they, they took you know, the, the more perishable parts of his body and cremated them and then put the cremains inside the taxidermy oh. mount. So they basically got all of him in one spot. In other words, um, Conroy gave stubby to the Smithsonian about 20 years later or 30 years later. And, uh, it's, it's still there. It's at the Smithsonian national museum of American history. I feel like a story like that, that dog would still be around somewhere in a taxidermied state. Yeah. Um, in fact, he, he lived such a life. I mean, what a what an astonishing life that uh, the New York Times actually published his obituary, and it was a lot longer than like most notable people's obituaries <laughs> <laughs> because he was so accomplished. Aww. 
So Stubbs. Yeah, pretty cool. Sergeant Stubby. Oh, he's adorable. I have everybody look yeah. up a picture of Sergeant Stubby because he is precious. Yeah, I want to check this movie mm-hmm. out now. Yeah, Alex and I want to watch the movie. Let everybody know. Yeah, again, think. good reviews, but a total bomb. Yeah. In the box office. Well, thank yeah. you for telling us about Sergeant Stubby, James. Is yeah. there My anything you guys want to add before we talk about next week's episode? Uh, Yeah. You should check out Grant Cook's music on Amazon Music, Spotify, iTunes, anywhere you listen to music. My goodness. All right. Well, next week is going to be our Patreon special. And so we have drawn from the vase, the Patreon vase. And we are going to be talking about Corinne's episode. She has requested just kind of like odd burial practices and, you know, certain things that you can do with bodies. So that is what we are going to be talking about next week. Until you hear about the marionettes that they make. Oh, no, 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 no. <laughs> um, so, you guys, that I think that with that, I think it's time to sign off. So, you guys, until mm. next week, we hope that you can keep, keep it straight. I'm Cece. I'm Alex. I'm Chamber Joe. <laughs>